welcome to an American but not really podcast. This podcast is for everyone who is navigating life in America, from newcomers to established professionals who have some small and big questions for the society about values, morals, careers, parenting, politics, economy, health, relationships, everything. Based on my 30 years of life experience in USA, having worked in film, advertising, marketing, PR, news broadcasting, and design, from interviewing Larry King to art directing for big corporations, we're here to talk about what it's been like living in USA. Please join in and subscribe. Welcome to an American But Not Really podcast. This is Alisa Krotovsky, your host. In the last episode, I spoke with Amy Sherber, the founder of Amy's Bread, author and winner of numerous awards in culinary and business fields about the food waste in USA. And in this episode, I'm honored to have a guest whose whole organization's mission is to end hunger and food waste in our lifetime by connecting surplus to food banks across the country. Julia DeSantis is the Director of Sustainability for the FarmLink Project, a student-led movement that has provided over 130 million pounds of nutritious food to communities facing hunger in the United States. FarmLink started out of college dorm rooms at Brown and Stanford University during the pandemic as a small group of students rented U-Haul trucks to connect farmers with surplus to their local food bank. The project became an overnight sensation, going nationwide with an entirely volunteer movement of thousands of students delivering millions of meals to the families that needed them the most. Julia's role focuses on the quantification, verification, and communication of the climate impact of food waste and food recovery in the United States. Given that food waste accounts for nearly one-tenth of global emissions, a project like FarmLink with sustainability-focused leaders like Julia has the opportunity to effectively mitigate planetary warming and reshape our trajectory toward a more accessible and sustainable food future. No one should have to go to bed hungry while perfectly viable produce goes to waste. This produce shouldn't have to be rescued from rotting in the fields or being sent to the landfill either. Why were we ever letting this produce go to waste in the first place? These are systematic issues that our society needs to address. In the perfect world, the farmling project wouldn't need to exist. Systems would be in place to streamline the supply chain so that 0% rather than 30 to 40% of food grown in the United States went to waste. For now, the FarmLink project is acting as the link connecting the broken supply chains in the agricultural and food access industries. Their long-term goal is to set up infrastructure which will render their work obsolete. If there were no food waste, if there were no hungry people lining up outside understocked and underfunded food banks, there would be no need for the FarmLink project. So without further ado, here's Julia DeSantis. So hi, Julia. Hello, Alyssa. <laughs> Thank you for sitting down with me today to talk about your organization, FarmLink. Uh, let's talk about your organization first so that everyone understands what it is about, how it all started, and what your goals are for the future. And firstly, I must admit, it's a pretty ambitious project, and your business model is based on the majority of it relying on volunteers. 
as I understand, these volunteers are mostly young people, students, young professionals. And that gives us hope that young people are becoming more and more aware of the current situation with environment, with food shortages, with climate change. And um, when I was researching your organization, and obviously that was that happened way after I learned about the organization. That was you know months ago that I was very uh, fascinated with this um, you know with farming, and I wanted to talk to you very badly about this because it's 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 a pretty um, amazing project in terms of how you organized and um, how you put yourself out there. So. Um, your organization's mission is to fight for a world where everyone has access to the food they need to make the world's abundance of produce accessible to everyone. As someone who has two small kids, I'm very concerned about the future. And as much as I can, I try to live sustainably, but the means of living sustainably not necessarily accessible for everyone and not necessarily completely understandable what it means to live sustainably. Um, it's much easier to live unsustainably, you know, with less effort. Instead of buying farm produce, it's easy to go to the supermarket and buy prepared food in plastic containers. Instead of saving compost and in your house and take it to a location where they accept compost, it's easy to just throw it down the garbage, you know, dispos disposable in an apartment building. So organizations like Farmland gives me hope that you are on the path of to educate general public and change the mindset of younger generations and give them an example of sustainable living and you know what we can do with all the farm produce that goes to waste to landfills you know on top of everything else that goes to landfills so let's talk about your story from the beginning the origins of the organization how the founders of farmland came to this idea how they managed to put together such an awesome network of volunteers, professionals, and partners. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, what a beautiful opening. And thank you so much. Um, so beautiful to hear it said back to us. And I'm so grateful that it um we've been an example, one of many in the world that are uh innovating ways to think about how we can really um design for a future where we can solve solvable problems and also better connect with each other and the living world around us. So thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's it's really an honor to be able to represent FarmLink. There are hundreds and thousands, hundreds, honestly, I think we're up to thousands of volunteers to date that I stand um, to represent today. So um, it's beautiful to, to be here to speak on behalf of the incredible amount of people that have really made FarmLink um, possible and, and the impact that we have. So thanks for having us. Yes, um, yeah, so I can start on the story. The The origin of FarmLink is that, um, you know, in the, the height of the pandemic in April 2020, we were seeing the dichotomy of masses amounts of food waste and food insecurity. So um there was actually a point in time where there was, um, you know, commercials or excuse me, um, footage of lines coming out of the food banks that were, you know, extending for miles and miles and miles, where many of the people um, in those lines were our frontline workers who were, you know, really working day in, day out in the height of the pandemic. And at the same time, we were seeing the food supply chain completely destabilize and 
and breakdown where growers and farmers across the U.S. were being forced to uh, throw out the hard-earned food that they were producing, uh, just given the demand of the entire system was shifting dramatically and so many people were out of work. So it was this absurd dichotomy that Aiden, Riley, James Knopf, Owen, Dubeck, a lot of our um, original team members looked at each other and said, wait a second, this is this is crazy. Um, and it really hit home when uh, their local food bank was um, strapped. They did not have enough team uh, to really meet the demand of um, the community. And more importantly, they didn't have enough fresh produce um, and or food in general to meet the the rising demands of the community. And so the story, how it goes, is just realizing that this was something that was hitting um, us close to home and activating by calling farmers to figure out where the surplus was happening across the supply chain and to connect any amount of food to any food bank that they could to just minimize what was going to waste and start to support the agencies that have been serving food insecure communities for decades in the States. So it really started one farm to one food bank uh, was the beginning and really how we have been able to scale is just continuing to develop relationships with farmers that of all people do not want to be throwing out any food. It is devastating and, and such a investment of, of energy and resources yeah. um, to grow beautiful food, to feed our population. And so working with farmers very closely to better understand um yeah, and to better understand uh, their different levels of surplus and then also to uh, help them save on costs of throwing food out and um, storing it in places that won't necessarily be picked up. So FarmLink works very closely with the grower side as well. And then, of course, on the agency side of who are the food um, who are the food pantries and food banks across the U.S. that FarmLink can be the link for? How can we connect pathways of fresh produce to organizations that otherwise are neglected or, or not necessarily included in the distribution of charitable food. So it's been really cool to work on both sides to really meet the needs of both the growers and those that are um, ensuring that communities are getting access to the food that they need. Mm -hmm. And so uh, basically just a few people, you know, started this big organization reached out to farms and I would, I would assume it was at, uh, where were the farms on the East coast? Like where, which farms on the West yeah. coast, East coast, uh, how something. Yeah. So the students, the students themselves are the volunteers that participated were from all over the U S. So everyone was sent home from school, uh, at this point, all college kids and all of their friends and neighbors just started to volunteer and get involved and so hundreds of kids just followed suit. And it was this really incredible um, common ground for everyone that wanted to participate in doing something about the crisis that we were bearing witness to. And so these were students from all across the country um, that were creating master lists of uh, farms, pr primarily in the Salinas Valley and, and the West Coast, so um, where Primarily, a lot of the produce is grown is in California and Arizona. And uh, so primarily West Coast procurement 
um, but distribution all across the United States um, to really um, extend the reach, given that so much food is grown on the West Coast, but demand is all over the country. Mm -hmm. So it's a Gen Z generation that stepped up and decided to help out and that's that's pretty amazing to be able to involve young people um at the moment because all we hear on news on media is that you know this particular obviously generation you know they're very big consumers there is a lot of um you know mentions of how they like fashion and gadgets and you know and you know all kinds of stuff so not a lot of media covers how many of them actually participate in, in organizations like that. So I was very surprised when I was um, when I learned about farming that there's so many young people that basically could do anything, but they they chose to be part of this project and basically volunteer, not getting paid, but doing something very meaningful and it's I mean for me it's it's pretty amazing because we don't get news like that and that's one part of the problem of the media nowadays that we don't get as many positive news about you know obviously environment and climate change we we hear about certain figures who uh, work with you know climate crisis and organizations but not particularly about a lot of students in USA from different states that, you know, put their time and effort in in doing something like that. So that's that's pretty amazing for me to hear. And um, you know, and obviously like you you talking that your goal, because you I mean the the organization is pretty new. However, you've achieved so much. You've been you you know, if you can talk about like statistics to let everyone who's listening know what has been achieved by today by just you know farm link alone obviously with volunteers and partners but i found that statistics um pretty impressive for young people for young people who run their organizations usually it's like you know when you read about certain organizations you know that have been established for years the ceos the founders they're in their 40s 50s you know 60s and then you come across farmland project and then it's like 20s, you know, early 30s, even, you know, taking you, I mean, you're running a pretty big role, you know, sustainability, director of sustainability, and you're a young person, you know, you know, <laughs> so that, that's pretty impressive, you know, and, and it just, like I said, it gives me hope that there are people who are knowledgeable about this matter if you can talk a little bit about like what you've been able to achieve yeah absolutely i think honestly the i think why we've been able to do it is part of the reason why is because we're young and that we don't really know what's right or wrong but we're daring to try um there's a lot of key values of the people that are attracted to farmlink and there's a grittiness there's a passion there's a collaboration and there's a, a a higher knowingness of what it's all for and I think we all want to feel a part of something and I I can speak to just those at FarmLink and my my peers and our generation 
I think given that we are exposed to so much more information, we are seeing what's happening in the world, but we also, you know, are still young. And so we're trying to figure out how we can participate and activate in it. And we, I mean, Gen Z is like, we are going to be following also with um, Generation Alpha, right? That we're going to be the generation that sees the outcomes um, and really the turning points of the climate crisis. And so environmental consciousness, social responsibility, um, interconnectedness, and collective action, I think, are such core tenets of our generation. And so we are now finding ways to connect with one another to really activate and really um, innovate to change um, the trajectory of things that we are growing up into. And so I think that's really what FarmLink was all about, was like, okay, let's put our heads together. We're college kids. We are willing to try anything. And we, I think, are gutsy enough to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. We uh, were willing to just dive into it and learn along the way. And I think that's definitely part of the, the childlike spirit, which is just to to try it and get up and try again. And I mean, we had plenty of rejections and uh, redirections that really, really, um, you know, were disheartening at times, but incredibly motivating to learn through doing, which I think is why we have been so successful in just three years. Uh, so to some of the metrics to date, we've recovered uh, and moved over 120 million pounds of food, uh, including produce and mm-hmm. dairy and eggs and all beautiful, fresh things that uh, food bank partners are in need of to create um, really nice balanced packages for um, their clients. And in addition to the food moved, um, so we also, by preventing food from going to waste, we intercept food that would otherwise not really have another place to go. Um, we are also mitigating masses amounts of greenhouse gases because when food goes to the landfill, which is the primary destination for most food early on in the supply chain, um, it generates methane. And methane is one of the most um, potent greenhouse gases that accelerates warming at a factor of 81 times to carbon over 20 years. So, And that's actually, we- sorry to interrupt you, that's actually one of the good points that you have on your website. And I think everyone should know because there's a lot of people who believe that once the food ends in landfills, it goes back to soil. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, not the truth. I wish. Oh, yes, unfortunately not. The the conditions of a landfill are anaerobic. It's just, it's without oxygen. So because of that, it's not um, being reincorporated. There's no actual um, reintegration of the nutrients that are in food. That's the beauty of composting. That's the beauty of um, uh, all these other different practices that are trying to um, use that incredible organic matter to be the source energy source for the next iteration of life. And so unfortunately at landfills, it's just a pile of stuff. And especially when it's food, given that it has, um, it's made of carbon, lots of um, chemistry going on as to why it generates methane, but pretty much in the absence absence of uh, oxygen, it generates um, methane. And so um, if we are not um, reconstituting the food, it will contribute to the warming as opposed to um, sink or, or, or sequester any carbon um, like other practices really can. Um, so similar to that, it's the same with tilling. Um, it's a practice when you till under the organic material 
at the farm level. And that is, while better than sitting in a landfill, it similarly is not necessarily really being reconstituted um, in a way that <clears throat> can pay forward the, the nutritional composition of the soil. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so in addition to, um, you know, just the food moved and the meals provided, um, we are also having a major climate benefit, which is really beautiful. I mean, also to think about all of the input energy that goes into growing food, the water, there's, you know, we're over, um, over, I think 1.3 billion pounds or billion gallons of water um, that we save to date, just to think about um, the water footprint that goes into our, our food and the transportation footprint that goes into transporting it. So we um, are very excited about the holistic impact that food recovery can have, not only on um, our environment, but also like through feeding people, we also can invest in our food system's sustainability. Mm -hmm. So for example, when you reached out to farmers and you talked about what do you wanna do, that you wanna provide a link between farmers basically and you know the farm produce that would could go to waste would go to waste um and move this food to the places where the food is needed to basically feed the hunger um how did they react did they were they surprised that it could be possible were they inclined not to do it and thinking that they're going to sell all the farm produce what was you know the feedback you got from from farmers uh, when you first started reaching out I think that yeah lots of feedback we learned a lot through those those initial calls the main takeaways were one that the point of surplus or the the most surplus was happening with these bigger farms that were traditionally in much bigger deals with, um, you know, big, um, big deals. So they were having like high volumes of food. Those, those transactions were cut. And so therefore they were left with super high amounts of food at a time. So the smaller farms were able to be a bit more nimble in terms of the quantities that they were projecting to need to sell. Whereas the bigger farms were, um, you know, they're, projecting major deals that are going to be distributed to restaurants and supermarkets uh, all across the United States. So it was a much bigger pivot for medium to large scale uh, farm operations to really figure out how they're going to redistribute all this food that they've grown. So uh, one of the main lessons that we learned were that the bigger farms had a harder time pivoting, but they also had the um, the traceability, the, the capacity to really feed so many people, right? So if we were able to help link um, any additional food that they had to food banks that were um, in their area and had capacity to fill it was really just the, the logistics challenge. And so we learned that it was primarily that, that there was really just a logistical gap between the point of um, surplus and the uh, point of need. The other main lesson that we had was that it's really expensive to throw away food. Uh, it's really expensive to store food that won't ever be sold. So we also learned that those were big pain points for growers that were, you know, of course, 
holding out to um, sell their food. And I just want to clarify that FarmLink is like the last option. We always want to make sure that all of our partners are maximizing what they can earn on their hard hard work of growing food. And so um, we are, you know, we want them to be, we want ourselves to be the last option um, before they choose to throw it out. And so that way we can always be that safety net. So they know that no matter what their food is going to a good cause um, and it's not going to contribute to any waste, uh, which is definitely something that we all align on. Um, so we are, we are someone that the farmers have um, come to know as their kind of emergency number in the case when they can't, um, for some reason, they are left with X amount of pallets of mixed greens versus um, like cabbages in other parts of the country. So yeah. it's been uh, very fascinating to learn uh, how we are responding to the effects of the food system as well, the market demands, as well as weather patterns that really just shift um, food availability um, and distribution across the U.S. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, interesting concept. Like you would think that if someone was overproducing and so that the demand for the produce has decreased, uh, whether it was due to losing partners or, you know, like you said, um, losing deals with uh, certain food chains and things like that. Like you would assume that that particular, you know, a grow or farmer would think, well, I will decrease the produce. Like instead of producing, I don't know, 20 billion, uh, I don't know, tons of, of onion, I will like do five instead of, you know, once they've been exposed to this kind of statistics and also to um, FarmLink and to organization like that, you know, who explain to them what could be happening, you know, how much waste is going and how much they will like suffer by just, you know, wasting all this farm produce you would assume that the farmer will be like well next year maybe i should produce much less so that obviously because you your goal is you know you're striving to not exist at some point you want to reach the point where the world doesn't need organizations like farm link that everybody gets food you know there's no overproduce the landfills are not being filled with food and other items um, so basically you don't want to exist. That's what's, you know, you, you're saying also like your mission and your mission. So did you, did you see that the farmers changed their behavior in terms of how much they produce nowadays, or do they still overproduce hoping that they will somehow sell it or use it? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, overproduction is kind of the the it's the paradox of plenty is, is something as I like to call it is that we have so much and we don't know what to do with it and it's not actually being um used effectively to meet the needs of um all of the people that uh, this country relies on so i in terms of shifts of our growers i don't know necessarily what the internal shifts of decisions of like different projections of how they're planning to harvest in different ways. Um, but what I do know is that they're all getting much, much smarter about how to reduce waste in their operations so that within just their production cycle, they are not contributing to waste and then creating pathways for any um, inventory that is not 
allocated to retailers, that there are ways that it's going to be put to use. Um, in terms of like a growing perspective, um, I'm not quite sure, but I do know that there's a lot more, um, there's a lot of nuance in why so much is produced as well, just in terms of availability and being able to um, market to multiple uh, buyers. But I don't know in terms of our growers, if they're, um, what the latest is on on adjusting those cycles. But at the end of the day, like no one's growing just for the sake of growing. They're trying to maximize what they can um, distribute. But I think it's definitely something that we have, um, you know, championed is how can we be intentional from the production um, orientation to, of course, prevent this perpetual problem of waste. Um, at the end of the day, that's what needs to, um, that's the transformation that's going to happen is how can we um, be more strategic about what we produce and how it's connected to different communities so that way we don't um, have to, you know, react to a design of overproduction. Mm -hmm. So how many, how many farms, if you know, or states, how many states you, um, you work with at the moment? We work with 49 states. Wow, 49. Okay. Yes. And I believe we have um, a little over 200 farms that we work with. And in each state, we have volunteers from different universities and, you know, I mean, students and, you know, young professionals or whatnot in each state. Yeah. Yeah. So we're a fully um, remote organization that um, has people all over the country. And we uh, have volunteers that are tuning in in high school, college, and postgrad that are working with us um, in our two fellowship programs. We have one called the Root Fellowship, which is our uh, operational one, where we um, it's the day-to-day -day operations of FarmLink. So there's all different teams, policy, farms, sustainability is the one I lead, um, deals, product that work on um, how do you... Um, you know, improve upon FarmLink's existing operations and keep it alive. And then we also have the Field Fellowship, which is an on-the-ground uh, fellowship program where eight students this summer were um, doing field work with different agencies and adjacent, adjacent issues to um, innovate in the food system to reduce waste and develop better connectivity between um, hunger-fighting charities and producers. So um, there's many different ways that we get involved, but People are, um, yeah, definitely active all over across the country. Mm -hmm. And who does usually like the quality control? Because if it's remote, is it, it do do all these people from different states answer to um, the same kind of like management team, so to to speak, you know, or do they have like a local uh, person who oversees kind of like the process to make sure that everything is working? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we actually, so our fellows, so we no longer handle the food ourselves. So at the beginning, we were driving U-Hauls and connecting the onions and eggs from the farms and connecting it to local food banks. But there are way, 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 way better professionals that are better suited to be doing at the food transportation than we are. So mm -hmm. we are the coordinators behind the scene. We are those that are advocating for policy and sustainability um, measurement and reporting and farmer advocacy. Um, that's what 
our fellows and team is doing across the country from from their homes. But in terms of the operational food transportation, we work with um, third-party logistics providers that are doing coordinating the, the pickups and drop-offs to uh, the locations that our farms and deals team are um, coordinating. Mm-hmm. One thing I'm just curious because um, just the way the business model is, is working and it's actually working very well, were there any organizations that you wanted to partner with or, you know, um, you reached out to that were skeptical about the whole thing, whether not believing that it's possible or that there's not that much waste going into landfills, you know, that the farmers will not cooperate. Were there cases like that? You know, I think there was at the beginning. I I wasn't a part of some of those conversations, but I think, yeah, absolutely. At the beginning, there was a lot of doubt that we were going to be able to actually have impact or that we had anything new to offer to this space where there's been, you know, there are hunger fighting charities and food recovery organizations that have been around for tens of years. And so we, of course, only just wanted to participate and, and support in no way, um, anything less than that. And so at the beginning, it was, you kids don't know what you're doing. Let it, you know, leave it to us type thing. Um, and I think that was something that actually quite, that, that motivated us. If anything else, it was, well, we're here to help and we don't think that it's figured out. There's clearly, um, there's clearly a problem here. I mean, the fact that we are seeing, uh, food bank lines longer than they have ever seen before and gallons of milk and food being thrown out mm-hmm. let us help and yeah. so it was really a big driver is how can we really connect these incredible agencies that are already out there and that's how I think FarmLink really got our footing was really recognizing that we don't know better than anyone that's been here but we do see that there's a disconnect and what we're here to do is connect and activate as many um, solution providers as possible so that we can actually get our arms around this problem and really see hunger end in our lifetimes. I think that's the biggest thing that really, you know, is our conviction is that it's a completely solvable problem and it's definitely solvable given the amount of food that we know is um, not actually going to people at the end of the day. So I think that's why we haven't given up <laughs> we haven't, we yeah. know that it's possible. So yeah, what you've said is just, I'm basically, I agree with you 100% and I am in all of organizations like that. And um, since I'm, you know, much older than you guys, but, um, you know, I've been around and I've seen the waste, you know, you also seen the waste. I don't know if many people pay attention, but USA is the kind of country that kind of in a way prides itself in having, you know, produce all year round because in some countries the produce certain produce is only seasonal we get strawberries you know 24 7 all year round even though we know it's like you know 10 degrees outside so we know it it doesn't it doesn't not necessarily comes from local farms so obviously you see how the the local grocery stores how they try to keep the produce you know fresh and good looking and things like that and then you wonder, you know, I wonder, I don't know if many other people wonder, but obviously a lot of young people wonder um, where the produce goes. Is it donated? Is it 
thrown away. Um, and it pains me to see because, you know, I'm guilty of finding also like, you know, perfect produce, you know, nobody wants to buy something that is already kind of half rotten or whatever, you know? So, but I think we're all guilty of that and we don't realize that we are privileged, maybe not in a good way in USA that we have this accessibility to find produce all year round but we don't realize how much waste goes into landfills and how much waste, you know, uh, the grocery stores produce and obviously how much of, you know, farmers lose financially and also, you know, in produce. So what are you doing is it's, it's incredible. And it's, um, I wonder why, you know, this, this, this kind of organization didn't exist like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, because it's been going on forever. <laughs> and only now, we're being a little bit more educated. And that's why, you know, I'm so happy that you here with me discussing this because it's something that is not, it's, it's, it's more discussed nowadays, but at the same time, based on, I was on your Instagram and I saw some of the comments, you know, from general public that they didn't believe statistics, you know, that's that's how much food has been wasted. No, it couldn't be true, you know, and things like that. There was a lot of like skepticism from many people. So I wonder how do you approach this part of your, I guess, your business, your organization? How do you approach the general public with questions like that? How do you educate? Yeah, I, I think it's really important to be accessible, um, especially because a lot of the issues that you were just talking about at the beginning, right, is, is that we're so dissociated from how food is produced and where it comes from and all the amazing people that it takes to bring the creative strawberries that we uh, get to enjoy. There's a great NRDC video that they made that follows like a creative, a creative, um, strawberries and it goes into the trash at the end and it's just like incredible insight into this process that the mother and daughter at the supermarket are only seeing the last two steps of it mm -hmm. um and it's I think that's something that's really important to me and I know the rest of our team is how can one we make sure that infrastructure right from a technical standpoint that there is the the linkage between um, the growers that are working day in, day out to produce uh, beautiful food and the consumers of the U.S. and most specifically for us, those that are food insecure, right? That is the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is access to food, rest, water. And we believe that um, access to food is essential and um, something that is totally um, possible here in the States. And so from a communication standpoint, it's really important for um, us to, one, just be able to speak to who are the growers, right, to humanize this system that um, really does feed us and who, what are the, what are the impacts of these choices that we make or why, um, why preventing food waste means something to someone that might not be able to conceptualize what 120 million pounds of food actually looks like, right? So I think thinking of it from a beginner's mindset is something that we always like to keep in mind, given that 
we all exist in this system that is very dissociated from our day to day. Unless you were, um, you know, you grew up in a food and agricultural family, or you grow your own food, or you're just really interested in it, um, it's not necessarily mainstream um, awareness like you were talking about. And so we try to stay as active as possible on social media. You can always, you know, anybody can DM us. We always answer questions um, because we're trying to work with anybody who's willing to pay attention. Um, you know, how can we, how can we learn from where we are now to imagine our long-term view and to really sustain a network of hope between all of us to learn through um learn through where we are to really um, teach each other how we can better appreciate the the resources available to us and to do so abundantly um, and with with imagination and ambition as opposed to I think a lot of um, metrics and re reporting can feel very soulless <laughs> and uh, I think that's something at least for me I, I studied climate communications and it it's really important that we always remind ourselves of the the human on the other side of it, right? Metrics are fascinating and important to um, create some sense of um, measurability and relative to, to to standardize the way that we understand impact. However, the the story behind the numbers is what actually moves people and shifts mindsets. And so, to think about that, a pound, you know one and a half pounds is a, a meal to think about what a meal means to a family and who that family is and how, um, you know, for one case, we had nurses who were working um, through COVID and the heat of it. We had farming communities that um, are harvesting the food, but they themselves are food insecure um, is like the most, you know, harsh irony of our dramatic um disparity of our food system. So being mm -hmm. able to always come back to what does this really mean for our community and to really know why it matters um, is something I think we're always trying to communicate and and do so with with um, humility and just from a, a true authentic voice of mm -hmm. young people trying to just work together to see see more people connected and have rights to the food that they they need to thrive. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. And I think that you're doing a great job on social media and just in general, because you visualize the problems. Statistics can do so much, even though it can be very impactful. But if you visualize, it's, it's in a way simplifies to understand the real problem. And it's, it's great that you have someone who can put it all together and visualize in, in such a simple but visual way that is understandable yeah. Yeah, to the to general public. But it's also done in a very graphically attractive way that you're not turn away. You're not scared to be on the side you know, by statistics or visuals. Um, you rather drone because also you involve so many young people and they're the faces of the, the organization. So it also helps to sympathize and also to understand and get involved. It's great what you're doing and it's it's not an easy job. Thank it's, you. It's something I believe that something has should have been 
organized long time ago. Um, I'm just, you know, surprised that it took so many years for organizations like Farmlink to finally say, hey, this is the problem that we've been ignoring for many, many decades and we should do something about it. <laughs> yeah, um, I I love that, that you brought up the visual communication. It's so important. I mean, especially with big topics like climate that are massive and complex and hard to just pinpoint with one um, example, right? The, the, both the opportunity, but also the, um, the challenge of climate work is that it is truly manifests in many different ways around the world, right? Because it's a massive um, climate is all encompassing of the entire, uh, you know, earth planetary system. So every system of our, um, of our shared ecosystem is going to be um, affected differently. So it's going to look different, but it's still all interconnected. So the the more we can communicate visually and the more we can communicate without losing the audience of getting in the, the throes of the technicalities and speaking to the shared experience of um, our, you know, the natural systems that we love, the food that we have such beautiful um, cultural ties to and uh, have, you know, long can over connect over sharing a meal is the, the better, right? The more we can actually um, step away from the audience needing to know something, but more just activating on what they already understand is I think the, the best way for us to also just, um, I think connect on the common, the common ground of all of it is that we, we know inherently that um, wasting food is just, you know, not, not the best outcome. And so the more that we can kind of uh, orient the scale of things that are happening, uh, the better. And there's there's so much about um, storytelling and, and visualization that that speaks to the power of um, using imagery over um, words. And I think we really leaned into that in our documentary actually just released um, this past month where um, Owen Dubeck, one of our founders is a brilliant documentarian and he captured the early days of Farmlink and it's a 23 minute documentary about how we got started. And when I tell you that this film has been the most impactful storytelling tool we could have ever imagined, it's so powerful to have a shareable visual that really carries people through the story um, of the magnitude of the 120, pound, 120 million pounds um, is really best suited through the context of the the fearless students behind it and the fearless farmers that trusted us to connect it and do good with it. And the, the incredible agency partners that are already so integrated in their communities that, um, you know, connected with us to um, make sure that produce got to their, their communities. So they are the people on the front lines and FarmLink was just so excited to be able to capture the incredible linkage that's already out there and how we were able to kind of rise to that challenge um, and so we've been leading the impact campaign for the documentary. We actually just screened the documentary at uh, the U.S. Capitol uh, two Wednesdays ago, and it was seriously one of the biggest feats for Farmlink since um, since our origin was uh, the opportunity to share our story and our um, goals for reducing food waste and supporting farmers to feed families in the U.S. 
is something that we um, we're so grateful for the opportunity to share with U.S. representatives and um, to many more audiences um, as we go into Climate Week in New York to really speak to the food sustainability people. This film has been um, revolutionary for how we um, can garner uh, support and also activate audiences that might not read a report, a scientific report or a fact sheet, right? There's something really important about moving people um, to feel a part of something. And that's really came from a, a place that Farm Lake started from, right? We students, we all felt lost going home from school and just sitting at home and watching the the detriments of the pandemic really affect our communities. We all want to feel a part of something. And if we can be harbors of hope and um, inspires of, of people to take action in their own communities, um, the better, because that's what we needed. And we know that um, we'll continue to need it as you know, the situation of our climate reality worsens with time. Yeah, actually, that was my next question about your new documentary, Abundance, and your, like you mentioned, visit to Washington, D.C. to premiere the documentary. And I actually wanted to ask you what the feedback you got and um, how did it go and what what was the outcome of this premiere? Oh, my gosh, it is such a... <laughs> It's such a surreal moment for us. I think two years ago, Ben Collier, Sophia Adele, uh, our head of policy, Ben is our, our, our CEO and founder, uh, and Luis Yepes, who's our head of procurement, who really just put FarmLink, FarmLink's operations um, on the map and really was able to help us um, expand our ability to procure and distribute food. It was really to his to his incredible expertise. Um, he's been working in the field for 30 plus years um, here in Southern California. And so they went to a, a produce conference in DC two years ago and, and we were nobodies in the room. We really, nobody knew who we were, but we were just getting started and learning about um, the produce industry and getting connected to key partners. And then fast forward uh, two years, we are now presenting to the US representatives, which is just, truly surreal and the members of congress so i think it's it a big was, achievement yeah it's a big achievement yeah. because you your organization is so young and to get to the congress and the capital and being there and presenting it to like the people who can also help and make a difference it's a big deal you know taking that it's you know just a few young people three years ago put it together and had this, you know, energy and enthusiasm to make it happen blows my mind because like I often am afraid to start something new or do something new and always question the consequences, you know, the and the fact that you said you had just this daredevils, like if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, then we'll move on. That's just I think that's the attitude that a lot of, you know, young and also like any age people should have yeah you know, to try to make it, <laughs> instead of questioning so many things um, oh my gosh yeah. <laughs> I, I'm with you I mean we all definitely struggle with that and I think that's the the beauty of this community is that just the the support to try and that most of the, the incredible things that have evolved out of FarmLink 
uh, our policy team, sustainability, the team that I lead, like it was, there was no sustainability team when FarmLink first started, right? We were a food, food program distribution focused organization. And now we have the capacity to lean into important, you know, complementary parts of FarmLink um, because students were like, wait a second, we should look into the environmental impact of this, or what is the environmental impact? And what are some opportunities for us to really make um, use of this story? And what are ways for us to get involved in policy and advocacy? What's happening and what's what's missing? Um, and so those were ideas that were celebrated by our peers at FarmLink. It was all about, if you have an idea, try it, and then we'll pilot it and we'll go for it. And I think that is an organizational culture thing that I really am so grateful for. Um, and that translates to all we do is really, you know, we have, of course, we don't have any idea what we're doing. We're brand new to this, but we're going to ask a lot of questions. We're going to learn and reflect on everything we try. And we're going to ask for help. Um, we're in no way think that we're going to do this alone. And no, no problem is um, best solved um, alone. There are diverse perspectives with partners all across um, the different sectors of the the food the food uh, industry is really um, I think integral to why FarmLink is where we are today. So, being able to speak to policymakers and um, organizational leaders in DC was so rewarding and incredible to finally connect with them. We it went very well and it was beautiful to be able to bring in um some growers who were able to speak on their their experience. Um and uh, of course the policymakers that are informing the farm bill and other major um major legislation that's going to shift the landscape of um food access in this country uh in the you know in a changing climate. So it went very well. We are, you know, it was just so cool to be um, there and on the map and be able to speak to what FarmLink can offer um, to the hunger fighting scene, to the food loss and waste scene, and to be a part of dreaming up and working together with uh, other solutioners to really, you know, redesign our system to be one that serves people and planet and that is willing to try and try now, just given that we have a limited amount of time to make impact. Um, it's just important that we get started and that we continue, uh, we continue to uh, ask good questions and and work together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm also curious um, to talk about your role and your responsibility. How did you come around this organization? Um, whether you found it yourself applied, whether they found you. Um, how did you come around? Um, what's your background? And it's basically for everyone who's aspired to do something with sustainability, environment, you know, food, climate, um, but don't know how to start. That will be a good um, insight and advice on your side to just kind of talk a little bit about your kind of daily activities, how you got this role, your responsibilities your background yeah oh I am so grateful this has been such an amazing ride so I have been um, a part of farming for a little over a year now I studied communication with a focus on climate communications at the University of Southern California I minored in social entrepreneurship and user experience design so I was always thinking about how can we 
be innovative in the way that we are talking about uh, climate. And I've always been very fascinated in food. Um, my mom is a chef, owns a cooking school. So I was raised just with a, a deep love and respect for ingredients and how food makes people feel and how it really just can, um, is such an important part of who we are in our culture. Uh, so I always had a, a love for it, but I was deeply moved when I first learned about the the reality of our climate situation and um, was very empowered by the realization that we have a lot of control over what can happen through our food system. Our food system is one of the few more actionable places for us to really uh, shift the trajectory of um, warming on this planet. And so I was always very interested of how we can kind of bring what is the nexus point in all those things. So um, I learned, as I mentioned before, that you know communicating climate research is such an important task. Uh, research has been out for decades about what's happening, but really the the connection, the the literacy on it, the humanization of these findings is what really needed to be shared. And so that was really my focus of how can we connect um, from a human level to really speak to this shared issue that um, you might not need to know, you know, the the granularity of research, but what you do need to know is that this is important and that you have the right to know um, and how uh, you can really connect with one another on this shared uh, this shared spaceship that we're on mm -hmm. um, called planet Earth and how to sustain uh, the life that we want to grow into. I think that was a big thing for me too, right? As um as a student and as a member of Gen Z, I knew that this is going to be a major context of my future. And I, if I could participate in a way that made me feel connected to dreaming of a world that was a bit more inclusive, a bit more um, resourceful and uh, collaborative, then that's one I wanted to be a part of. So I kind of committed my, when I first started to really get into the throes of this research, that I wanted to dedicate um, my career to involving myself in that. So I wanted to be a part of the, the value add, the visionary part of it, the the solutions, um, given that it's uh, it's all here, it's happening. And it, the time is now to ask questions and participate and learn as much as you can. Um, and have fun doing it. I think that was the big thing for me was I, it, it's scary, and, but it's also really exciting because we have so much available to us to put into action. And so finding a community uh, that of people that share that mindset, that values of we're just going to try because we believe that there's so much to be grateful for and celebrate the abundance of this planet and let's just get to it. Um, not needing to prove as to why X, Y, and Z is happening, but to just um, make the most of what is available to us and really um, show that this is possible, show that we are capable um, because we are, we really, really are. Mm -hmm. And even if it's just impacting one community, that is better than not doing it at all, right? There's there's no way we can change the whole world at once, but that's not how the world changes. That's not how... Um, that's not nor how I think we'd want to do it, right? Every community um, can be informing their local needs. And I think that's the beauty of nature is that diverse 
problems call for diverse solutions. So we just address the U.S. and some some distribution in Canada, but every part of the world is different. You know, waste yep. and surplus is going to look completely different um, in other parts of the world. So we want local communities to feel activated to, you know, meet those needs for themselves because they know better than, than I would. So um, I think empowering that you just kind of meet yourself where you are and find finding an organization that um, aligns with the vision of the world that you want to work towards was something that was really important for me. So I, I graduated last spring in May and I had led a, uh, a food pantry volunteer network at USC. Uh, there was a major food insecurity in Southern California and particularly in LA County and uh, right by USC. And one of the the needs that we saw, the pain points uh, a bunch of friends and I saw um, was that food pantries were having a hard time accessing their clients during the pandemic because a lot of them were older, um, had health conditions, couldn't leave the home, were scared to leave the home, and they were unable to get their groceries at the food pantries. And so um, two friends of mine started this um, distribution volunteer program called Good to Go, which was volunteer students would take their cars and pick up uh, food from the food pantries and drop them off at um, families' homes all across um, LA. And so that's what I did my senior year and coordinated um coordinated a lot of those deliveries. And then I was seeking something adjacent to that and something of the same spirit. And someone who grew up in LA County and knew some of the farm linkers uh, just asked if I if I had heard about them and um, I hadn't. And so I reached out and I saw that they had the fellowship program. So I, I applied to the fellowship like uh, all the other fellows and uh, you know, interviewed for the in a, for the uh, sustainability team, and was brought on for that last June, and then fast forward, um, was brought on uh, as an independent contractor, and then full time to lead the sustainability team and continue our our efforts in the last six months. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> That's very inspiring. Um... And like I said, it does give hope that there are more and more, you know, young people who go into that direction. Um, I think there's just not, um, there is a lot of jobs that I believe do not save lives. Um, they exist. Um, they're profitable for companies. I, wouldn't, I don't want to name those, but there are a lot of companies like that. Um, they make profit for, you know, obviously the company, you get salary, all that stuff, but there's, they don't really make a difference in a way. So, um, it's not like doctors, we don't, you know, there's <laughs> just so little, you know, organizations that actually can claim that they make, you know, a difference. So, and I think farmling is one of this projects. That's why I was so excited to have you here and talk about it. Because I think, like you said, like you hadn't heard, even though it was a few years ago, but you hadn't heard about FarmLink. And I'm sure there are still a lot of people who, you know, have not. And I think that's part of my goals is to bring awareness. And um, I wanted to, you know, also was curious to see what you guys have 
plans for, I don't know, the next few years? Are you thinking internationally or you are still working on, you know, USA? Are they... Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, great. With the new documentary and everything, so. <laughs> yeah, well, I also just wanted to say thank you. And to any listeners out there that are thinking about something that they would like you know, a problem that they care a lot about that they can't stop thinking about. Like this, this was something that I couldn't stop thinking about. And I just had no other choice than to participate in it. And I think you just got to follow that. Whatever that is, um, everyone's going to have a different thing that kind of gets them like frustrated or excited. And that's energy to listen to. And I think that's something I'm really grateful for is that FarmLink nurtures that energy and it activates it and it gives you a way to express it. And so whether or not you have a community yet to um, collaborate on with, do it yourself, find the research that's available out there, use whatever you have access to, to learn as much as you can. And I think people also connect with people who are in the uh, positions that you're interested in or a part of organizations that are asking the right questions and doing something really cool. And I think reaching out to them and cold emailing them or calling them and saying, you know, I really love what you did. And I really like would love to learn more about X, Y, and Z. How did you do this? Those, that is how you get momentum and energy and you build your network to find the people that you want to work with. Um, so I would just encourage you to try, get yourself out there to just kind of get some exposure um, and also just continue to uh, stay open to all the different ways that you can activate on something you care about. Um, there's so many incredible organizations out there. And so the more you can speak to what you are excited about, the more people can help connect you to it. So whether that's your best friends or a teacher um, or the internet that you find, I think there's so many um, different pockets that are all looking for you too. Um, and if you don't see it, start it. It's really, there's, um, you know, and if you ever have any questions on how to get started, we are big champions of that. So we are, I think, just get out there as best as you can. Um, in terms of how we're where we're headed, uh, definitely focusing on the states as much as we can. We're, you know, there's so much to learn. Um, continuing to expand distribution um, in the Midwest, in the Northeast, and as well as procurement. Um, so on a on a procurement side, we have something called the complete harvest that we're doing, which is helping farmers who um, there's helping farmers who leave um, produce in the fields is just one uh, component of uh, food that is not necessarily um, redistributed to the rest of the human supply chain. So the main projects that we're focusing are focusing on are the complete harvest, which is any farmers that are left with food that would otherwise just be better tilled under and it doesn't really have demand to be harvested. Um, we are bringing in, um, we're doing pilot programs to make sure that all that food is harvested and redistributed so that we cover, we cover the costs of that and to make sure that um, all of that is also being redistributed. The second category is our classic um, and uh, first program, which is our um, food recovery, once it's already been packaged, once it's already been um, harvested. So making sure that those um, distribution distribution channels are um, flowing as uh, flowing and growing. And thirdly, we're leaning into the impact campaign, which is 
our documentary uh, to be able to activate schools, students, uh, organizations, companies across the U.S., around the world. We, we've had a couple screenings of the documentary in Europe already. And really speaking to these, these issues of food waste and food insecurity as interconnected ones and ones that um, are really important in, in the context of a changing climate and how they can actually be synergistic solutions. Um, so using the documentary as a way to also um, empower the last mile of people at food uh, pantries, empower the um, local organizations that are doing something similar in their own way. So um, really leaning into that and how we can also um, help drive uh, policy and advocacy that can really support the you know, institutional um, pillar of strength to really meet these challenges where they are and, and drive access. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good plans. Ambitious <laughs> also. Yes. And I think the big one is, is really just all in this context of climate is of course, one that I, I really care about. And we as a team do as well as communicating the connection between uh, our food system, food access, and security and how that relates to climate. Um, I don't think it's always that clear, even though we know that food, you know, a food system relies on agriculture and our planet, but the the feedback loops, the way that they actually um, can either damage or uh, nourish each other is so interesting. And I think that's something I'm personally really excited about is continuing to share that story and continuing to better um, represent the environmental benefit that FarmLink's work has and food recovery at large has. Um, so that means refining our measurement and methodology. That means um, dreaming up cool new ways to visualize uh, the impacts from a, both a hunger fighting perspective as well as a climate champion one um, and resilience one. So that's something I'm really excited about to continue to really speak to the systems level change that this work can really have, given that it's all interlinked. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Julia, for being on my podcast. I'm so honored to be able to speak with you and to know more about Parmlink project and, you know, to have my listeners to, to get to know this project. Um, you speak with such passion that it's very inspiring. And I, I, I wasn't exposed before to um, people who speak on such you know, important issues with such, such passion. And I think that's the future of uh, jobs in this kind of, you know, um, industries and organizations, um, because I think we need more people like you as well who represent and can convey issues on sustainability, climate, environment, food shortages, and things like that with such a, you know, passion and clarity um, and simplicity that it's, um, I think that's what we're lacking in the messaging right now across all channels. Um, so thank you so much uh, for being part of this um, uh, episode and this podcast. Um, I really, I'm really looking forward to seeing your documentary and I'm actually in talks with um, Farmland Project to bring this film to um, the local schools. So um, I cannot wait to for the young people and also you know, for my generation um, to see what you guys are capable of. Well, thank you so much for having us. It's 
Um, it means a lot to be able to speak with you and, and share. Um, so thank you for creating a platform that allows us to um, share a little bit about what we do and honestly, all the, the incredible work that's happening. Um, we are grateful to um, be able to work alongside so many incredible people that believe in a, a world without hunger and one that is um, that's working to create a, a generation of resilience and one of um, of love and respect for um, this super abundant planet that we uh, we thrive on. And so it's been a a privilege to learn myself um, so much through the organization. And I feel very lucky to be able to come on and represent the the thousands of volunteers that have really helped um, Farmland get to where we are today. So thank you so much for listening and for your thoughtful questions. Uh, I hope I hope to uh, see you again sometime soon and uh, definitely reach out if you're interested for the documentary. We can't wait to share it with you all. And I can't wait to see what each of you all do with with all of your own innovations and beautiful ideas for our future. So thank you so much for holding space for us. We, um, we're happy to be here. No, definitely. Definitely thank you for what you're doing. It really gives me hope that my kids will have more information and have more exposure to organizations like this and hopefully being, you know, will be part of the change because we really need that. And yeah. it's about time. It's about time. Yes. Well, it sounds like you're, you've, you know, I can't wait to, uh, to, to hear what they're excited about and what a, what a privilege to have a mom like you to um, be able to share so much of the incredible work you're leading. So definitely lots to be excited about and hopeful for and um, happy to be any sort of um, demonstration of what's, what's possible and what, what they can get involved with when they, when they grow up and start dreaming about their, their own world. Definitely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to an America But Not Really podcast. My name is Alisa. I'm a designer. And I started this podcast because I wanted to share my journey from living my country as a teenager to growing up in America, whilst meeting and befriending amazing people of all sorts, some of whom are my guests on this podcast, who join me to share their life experiences. Hope their experiences will inspire, educate, make you feel good, guide you, and make you love. They come from all kinds of backgrounds, but we all have one thing in common. We all live and work and build families and careers in America. You might notice that I might throw here and there an episode that talks about the differences in cultures, but that's because it's part of the idea behind this podcast. Join me for laughters, despairs, and contradictions of my experiences in America and ones of my guests. Don't forget to tune in, rate, and subscribe. To follow the latest updates of the podcast, follow the podcast on Instagram at an American but not really. This podcast is made with the help of this great podcasting platform, Anchor FM. <laughs>